from Electric Forest Radio, this is Forest Today. Today on the show, I share a very special conversation with Nova Hahn. She serves as the creative director for Electric Forest, and so much of the magic we see and feel at the festival each year is thanks to her creativity, leadership, and vision. I talked with Nova just a few weeks after Electric Forest 2022, and we discussed her role designing the Saturday shebang with string cheese, as well as the hangar, the chapel, honeycomb, and so many other immersive aspects we've all come to love. She's an inspiration to so many, and I'll share our full chat in just a moment. But first, for more episodes of Forest Today like this, plus the Brainery Hour, exclusive DJ mixes, and live set recordings from the festival, don't forget to search for and subscribe to the Electric Forest Radio Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or visit electricforest.com slash radio. My conversation with Nova Hahn is next. So I'm Nova Hahn. I am a creative director for Electric Forest, even though I feel like that's actually just 5% of what I do. It's mostly creative production, but, uh, you know, they like to roll with that title and I'm happy to have it. And yeah, the areas that I really work on is designing out the hangar with uh, collaborators, of course, everything just done with collaborators, really Uh, curating the forest with my compadres, Patrick and Brad Lyman. And doing the uh, the roaming performance artists, I book and manage them, as well as the string cheese shebang show. So let's start with the hangar. That mm-hmm. is something that debuted several years ago, but it's grown every year, and this year especially, kind of doubled in size. So if someone is not familiar with this, hasn't been to the festival before, how do you explain this space? To them. Yeah, it's uh, it's so much. I actually have tried to not explain it because I'm like, oh, it's so much. Just come. I'll say that when it was uh, initiated, the um, executive producer of the show, he came to me and said, hey, I want an immersive place that feels like it's in the 1940s and it's called The Hangar. And that's about all I know. <laughs> and I said, OK, let's let's imagine, let's see what this could be. Um, and so, you know, and, and he did bring more to it details than that. He, I think he also considered that it might be a lot of like storefronts or some kind of city square. He was kind of milling on a few ideas. And in that first year, we really just uh, honed in on trying to create this little micro city uh, where we have over 200 character actors, each with their own different script, each with a costume, each with some kind of initiative of how to engage with guests. Um, and so we have different rooms or storefronts or houses or whatever you see them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is called Rosie's Recharge Station is the official name where we have Rosie the Riveters who do like massages with massage guns and buffing pads Uh, We have the Soulmate Depot, where it's kind of like analog Tinder, where we have people fill out match profiles and they talk to like a matchmaker and they can find their their festival soulmate, if you will. Um, And uh, yeah, a game room. This year we added a magic room, a magic space where we had 
some of the top magicians in the nation doing magic tricks. Um, in the game room, we actually have the number two pool trick artist in the world. And yeah, so it's just a lot of different themed rooms. And, you know, one of our main objectives is that we have everything, all of the services, all of the experiences, they're all free uh, because we really don't want to create a just a delineation between the have and the have nots. I think we really want to create this micro society of idealism of what it would be like if we were just in this gifting society. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And beyond what is seen just walking through, there are also several hidden spaces and objectives inside as well. That's right. What what secret rooms? I, I, I don't Yeah, the the secret's out that there are secret rooms. Um, They've changed every year. Uh, Now that some of the years have passed, I can tell you what they were. But, um, you know, we've had things like secret captain's lounge where you had to walk through a telephone booth. Or um, we've had like a giant black pit that we had. It was almost like um, the Twilight Zone where you, you know, talked to a person in an accounting office and you slid over the file cabinet and it led you through this strange corridor where you had to pick a door. And all of a sudden, once you walked through the door, you fell into this giant black foam pit. Um, So we, we like to keep it surprising. Uh, We have, uh, I don't know how many years we've done it for now, but uh, you know, the way that people have traditionally been a part of this game is they would go to the time travel agency where they would get, a quest card and they have to solve several puzzles to then get a captain's pin that would then allow them into these secret spaces. So it's become pretty popular over the years. Uh, Yeah. I think on day one, I think that's some people's only goal for the day is just to explore that space and make it through. Oh my gosh. Day one was so nuts because we just, we really didn't, We know that every year we're going to have more people who engage. uh, But this year, we just could not believe how many people knew how, you know, knew about the game, knew that it would gain you access to secret places. And when doors opened, it was just, I don't know, I have a video of it, but it was a line all the way from the hangar to the Grand Artique, which uh, if you don't know how far that is, that's probably... I don't know, two acres long yeah. or something. It's long. Yeah. 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 That's massive. Uh, so let's switch gears and talk about the shebang. And that has been a spectacle that people have enjoyed for, you know, every, every year, essentially to my knowledge, electric forest. Uh, tell, tell me about that. And for, again, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with what this is or haven't had a chance to see it, how do you describe this? Yeah, so the shebang is kind of like what we consider our uh, culmination kind of vertex moment where everybody comes and they have this one moment together. And it's uh, of the tradition of the band string, the string cheese incident. It's been going for a while prior to even when I started uh, creative directing them. They already had something called the shebang. Um, and it's generally like a 10 to 15 minute shebang if you will of just absolute madness it's we've done 
We've done every trick in the book when it comes to big theatrics from drone shows to flying people on helium balloons to, you know, putting somebody up in this giant tin cage where they shot off sparklers and it ricocheted all over the cage they were in. I mean, that was a logistical feat with the fire marshals, of course. Uh, We've done so many things. We really just tried to push the envelope on this. And you, I know you've mentioned before that you don't really get the chance to do rehearsals, for, you know, dress rehearsal. It's just you hope it works out. <laughs> Absolutely. I wish we were able to do a dress rehearsal, but it's a very different situation when you're planning a show with not only a jam band. Um, you know, you really can't like pre-choreograph video, uh, lighting, dancers, etc., um, that's a whole nother beast. But then when you're, um, you know, guests of a festival, essentially, it's, you know, there are other people performing in that space. You really can't occupy the space with your own agenda. You really have to be respectful of, hey, you have your sound check and then you perform. And we have to develop and create gags that are going to be as visually stimulating as possible and large but also can be executed with ease. Uh, And that's a really interesting logistical challenge when you're trying to create something that is um, like, okay, you know, we're going to fly this person with all helium balloons and rock them into the crowd. And have you done this before? You haven't? Okay, well, hold on. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I make it sound worse than it is. Of course, we have like, you know, riggers and stuff like that that are on it. But the point being is that when you have so many other factors like, fireworks and confetti and other large props and giant balloons getting, you know, thrown everywhere and people spreading uh, that spider web stuff. It's like, there's so many variables to have to account for that. It's uh, it can be a challenge to not get that rehearsal in and just hope to um, hope they understood that they got our, our little hoorah prep meeting for 15 minutes before show. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the the theme for, you know, every year there's a pretty distinct theme to the shebang. So this year's theme um, was very much about family and togetherness. So do you want to talk a little bit about all the aspects that were involved in this year's show? Yeah. So this year's show, the theme was We Are Family. Um, and the idea being that, like, we've been gone for several years and kind of floating in our own internal spaces like these lone satellites out in the world and that we have come and culminated here in this one time, this one moment in history. Um, And so, you know, in that whole discussion of we don't get rehearsal this year, I was actually able to design and craft a whole micro movie. I was so happy about this movie and the, uh, we had all these beautiful shots of people that were kind of floating in outer space, uh, by themselves training, doing whatever, but just kind of in their own satellites. And then this giant light beam shoots out from earth and these people see this, you know, something is calling them back. And so we had all these beautiful shots of like, you know, spaceships, like, you know, flying back towards earth and, uh, you know, people removing their home and they're taking a breath of fresh air for the first time. And they're all just running, trying to get back to the forest. 
Um, and unfortunately, you know, things happen and the video didn't get to, oh, no. um, <laughs> uh, it was like such a, it was like, I was so happy. I was like, finally, I story tell. And we made this micro movie, so had a ton of energy and resources on it. And, uh, it completely, I don't know the cables and who knows it, that's part of the, the, uh, uncertainty of outdoor environments and outdoor shows. So that that didn't happen, unfortunately. Um, but you know, as they say, the audience never knows. Yep. And it happened, which is great is that the whole second part of that is like, Hey, we're coming back together to have celebrate as a family. I was able to bring out these incredible singers, uh, from LA crystal star night who came out and sang the lead. And she brought on, uh, her other, um, I'm forgetting their names at the moment, but these other singers that were just incredible. They came out, and then uh, we were able to drop in the world's largest disco ball, which was also quite a logistical feat to get it in there. But it was a uh, 22-foot diameter disco ball that we had to crane in with a 5,000-pound crane <laughs> and slowly maneuver it up and over the crowd, and that was fun. Oh, and we got actually uh, – we had some Red Bull flyers this year. That was exciting and fun where they – were able to jump out of a plane and have sparklers off their feet and kind of fly into the show. That was supposed to be the uh, connection point between the astronauts coming back to Earth. Um, but again, you know, with things not always going as you hope or planned and you have to kind of roll with the elements due to uh, the weather pattern, mm. we had perfect weather up until day of show, of course, and all of a sudden, the the rain or the the clouds were uh, the cloud shelf was pretty low. So, what was originally supposed to happen was that the um, Red Bull Flyers were going to come in wearing LED suits that we were going to program, and also these webcam helmets uh, so that we could see them actually flying in. And unfortunately, uh, due to the height that they were able to get in, they couldn't do the wingsuits. So. Mm. And it was perfect, and it's fine, and it's yep. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what What have been some of your other favorite shebangs over the years? Any Any that stand out to you? Um, I think that uh, I really loved uh, the year that we had done. Uh, we had flown Lady Liberty, and it was the year that I believe Trump won. That year, it really, just felt like the beginning of quite a lot of civil unrest. And when we design these shows and I, you know, I'm conceiving a lot of this stuff, I'm really like just feeling and tapping into like, what is the messaging that wants to be shared and sent this year? Um, and that year uh, we had started with all of these taggers, if you will, tagging on this like brick wall where they were just tagging like peace and freedom. And, uh, and gosh, you know, I don't remember all of the details, but I think that they eventually rip off their hoodies and then they became, they started jumping onto the wall like trampoline tricks and the wall started growing flowers. Uh, and then we had Lady Liberty fly out and she, it was this beautiful woman wearing this long draping gold cape and she had the blindfold and the sword in one hand and the balance in the other hand. And she was flying on this giant balloon that was also covered by other just red heart balloons and then she flew up and she tore down this banner and it just said lead with love 
mm. as like our response to kind of the civil unrest that was happening. And I just had a, it just felt like this really emotional moment. Yeah, definitely. What, what was that the year the, the helicopter flew over as well? Uh, right, that's right. That, yeah. that was the part that I forgot. Yeah. That yeah. was the year that we wanted it to feel scary and kind of, uh, you know, hard at first. So we had the, the helicopter looking like it was searching for somebody. People were tagging on walls. We had the SWAT team come out across the, the front of the, the stage. And um, then everyone transformed. The SWAT team pulled off their gear and they started doing a drum, you know, live drumming on LED drums. And uh, everyone transformed into like a vision of love as opposed to civil, you know, unrest. Yeah. So. No, that was super powerful. Like that, that moment is ingrained in my memory from that. Cause I, honestly, I wasn't sure if it was part of the show or oh. not, you know, it was, it was definitely, uh, scary. So mission <laughs> accomplished. On that one. You know, people always ask just how in the world do you come up with the ideas and how do you pull off everything, not only in what we've talked about now, but just the festival itself and talk a little bit about the, you know, the collaboration, the teamwork and just the insane logistics that take place to pull this together essentially year round. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I've grown in this field. When I started, it was, myself, my assistant and on the, just the day to day. And I really took it all on and it was, I was buried in data and information and was doing so, so at the job, but not great. Uh, and I really learned to, um, keep hiring better management, um, uh, better producers, better coworkers. Mm. And this year was the best that it's ever been. I really, really tried to step back uh, as being a lead producer and really tried to put on the mental hat, at least, of, hey, like, I'm stepping into being a uh, mentor. That's like, you know, and that was like my personal goal and my personal um, challenge was how do I actually raise my team up around me to be their own leaders, to genuinely have, you know, agency and empowerment to take on certain chunks. Uh, so I really spent the earlier part of the year um, onboarding people, making sure that they understood like, hey, like you get to have creative input here, you get to uh, move these things forward, you get to make decisions and, you know, we'll come together and we'll review things. Uh, but tried to like step back and, and let my team really step up to the plate and carry it. And what was awesome, a great discovery that I had this year was that my main core team that I had hired, um, they were all female. And I hadn't even realized that until I got to site. Like, I always, you know, want to encourage more uh, female leadership in um, all industries, to be, you know, frank. Uh, but I always, you know, want to do my part to encourage and, and shepherd that in and nurture it. Uh, but it was unbeknownst to me until I actually arrived. I was like, oh, I hired exclusively all female presenting people as all of my my leadership management i had no idea well hooray for that yeah. <laughs> yeah. how did you find yourself even in this position in the first place yeah it, it grew um i started a cirque company way back in the day i was a, a founding member it wasn't my company but i was a founding member 
back in 2005, where I was performing, creative, you know, directing in some regard, tech director, producing, kind of wearing all the hats, rehearsal director, all the things. Um, and then uh, from there, I was, you know, doing shows. I think in our first year, we booked Coachella and booked it every year for, you know, 10 consecutive years. Uh, so I was designing shows there for about 10 years and performing and doing all the madness of building it out. Um, and from there, I got uh, picked up by Jeremy Stein, who wanted me to design uh, the String Cheese Shebang show at Horning's Hideout. That was 2010. That was my first year. Uh, and then I got scouted by some other um, Madison House artists who wanted me to design their shows. And so when Madison House ended up picking up Electric Forest, it kind of just made sense that they would ask me to um, start with just the performers, uh, booking the like roaming performance teams. So I did that for a few years, maybe two years. Uh, and then went from that, like it felt like zero to a thousand uh, jumped from doing that for two years to then creating the hangar for the first year, which was a massive endeavor, massive, massive, endeavor. Yeah. <laughs> plus uh, co-producing the forest that year. And I, the, up until that point, I didn't know anything about the rest of the festival. I had no idea who the production manager was, who the different stage managers were. I don't even know that I could tell you the difference between those two roles, mm. <laughs> you know, like yeah. site off. Like, I don't even know that at the time I could even delineate, like, what do all these different roles do? What is in their court? Like, I had just always been kind of in that performance art world before. Yeah. So there was a few, you know, learning years that were painful for everybody around me. Sure. <laughs> but they stuck with me. And I think that Jeremy frequently had to tell people like, all right, all right. But like, but just, just, just check out her vision. <laughs> <laughs> I think that then, you know, eventually I'm, you know, thankfully I'm a pretty smart girl. So I caught on eventually, but I really went from like, you know, hardly any experience in anything outside of stage show production to doing all of that in like a year transition. So wow. um, out the other side now, I think I'm a decent producer now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I'm in such awe and admiration truly of the work that you're able to do and, and everything that you bring to the festival, both that we're able to see and everything that happens behind the scenes as well. It's just, it's really inspiring. Um, the roving performers, we haven't really talked much about that. Uh, and this is something I would assume most people are certainly familiar with. And there's so many different characters and and uh things to interact with every year so how uh how does that come together how do you come up with the ideas for these characters you know what's what's that process like yeah well at this point now um people come to me and they they bring in their own bid um it was definitely like a learning curve when we first started i think that there was a lot more of a like go-go style scene out there and just kind of all around um so people were really used to like hey we put on really awesome latex outfits and we kind of like jiggle around uh and i was like no that's not that's not what i'm looking for that's not what i desire like you could do that on stage somewhere but what i really want to create is i want to create um genuine bespoke authentic moments between you know, these characters and our guests. 
Uh, and so, you know, really like I had to start training into them. Like one of my first questions when working with these teams is like, okay, what is the offering? What is the offering that you're bringing? Um, so like, yeah, costumes are important. I love costumes, but beyond the costume, like how does, how are you going to engage with the person where they are, they feel different. They had a moment and who they were before this moment is different than who they are afterwards. It could be sharing a poem. It could be embracing them with a group hug. It could be, you know, giving them a trinket that reminds them of like their greatest wish, whatever it is. Right. Um, so in the first few years, it was uh, a challenge to kind of onboard people into that style of thinking because it's a if you're not used to it, it's a hard you know, hard to incorporate, you know, most people wanted to kind of do transactional things in a trick or treat kind of way. Cause mm -hmm. that's what, uh, you know, I can give you this like, you know, trinket or this thing. And I'm like, no, that, you know, and it took years to train into like, it's not about, you know, giving away a special coin. It's about what is the story behind it? What is the adventure that it brought somebody on? What, you know, what, you know, that, you know, infusing it with meaning. Um, so in the past, you know, I had designed some characters and created uh, some of the offerings. Like, I think one of the first ones were the uh, airline, uh, you know, stewardesses who would walk around and they would have these like, you know, you know, beautifully designed tickets for almost like, uh, what is that called when you're going not through TSC, through customs, mm -hmm. right? Like, what, do, what is your baggage? What are you carrying on to, to yada, 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 all this stuff. But it was just like a simple way to engage with the guest where they would then have this token afterwards. this like, you know, memorabilia of a beautiful ticket that they, you know, got from this character um, that was a moment that they shared. Nowadays, now that the teams have like now been trained kind of year after year after year to understand what I'm looking for, now they bring in their own ideas, their own concepts. I usually... Um, massage it a little further if I feel like it needs a little more development. And uh, then we just roll from there. So, you know, they're really bringing in their own genius and I'm just helping to give it a little push or a little polish. What were some of your favorites of this year? I know there were several. Yeah. You know, um, I heard a new team called Walkabout Circus, which this woman, Anastasia, created uh, these big fringy creatures they almost look like they're a nick cave kind of creature um and they had these like live drummers and it was just so mystical mm -hmm. they kind of like paraded around and they just added so much mysticism to the scene i really loved them um i really love uh some of the works that um ali luminescent brings and she her team is called the stilt brigade and she did these like really crazy alien looking praying mantises. Mm. Uh, and so she, you know, and her team, they're out of New York. And I always love that they bring such um, wild theatrics. And then what were the one eyed girls or creatures? I, that's a, a new team artist, Gramble. Um, they came out for their first year this year too. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a lot of people posting photos and, and with with those, so that was really cool. Yeah, they seem to really like them. Yeah. So if if folks want to get involved with the performance side, I know there are opportunities to do that. What's what's the best way to attempt to get into that space? 
Yeah. So we, you know, I book a lot of the, you know, different artists for different things. So I, I'm booking talent for the hangar, which is through auditions. Uh, we usually do live auditions in Chicago and uh, Detroit sometime in March. And I usually post on like uh, my Nova Han Instagram account or Nova Productions Facebook when auditions are. So I'll do that. Uh, and then we do, um, we'll take in submissions for uh, Roman performance artists uh, same way. Uh, they can either write at contact at novahan.com and we'll send them a form that they could fill out. Uh, we also book for, uh, you know, performance teams for the chapel, which was, um, you know, I also uh, directed and designed that space. Uh, and that's also the same way through the form site. And then uh, the honeycomb, which is more of the musical acts. And we'll do that through the form site as well. So if they just write contact at novahan.com sometime in February, we'll probably send them that form site. So we didn't talk about the chapel. Thanks for the reminder. But uh, that's another incredible space that you literally just never know what <laughs> you're going to walk into. I mean, I, I mean, you, you might be dazzled. You might be shocked. You might be <laughs> serenaded. Who knows? But I mean, let, uh, talk, talk about how that space came to be. Yeah. So it was, you know, originally it was just this idea of, hey, let's make this chapel and we'll do these kind of comedic weddings. We'll hire like an improv comedy troupe. We'll do weddings, you know, all day. And um, I found a team, Mark Hylev and Jade um, Mandrafico to build the um, original structure and then found uh, these other muralists, the Frank brothers, to paint the original mural and then kind of Frankenstein to the team together. Uh, and then we were just going to do weddings. And then uh, somebody in the Force production uh, team, it was Andy Carroll, actually, who was like, OK, but what's going to happen at night? And I was like, damn it, Andy, like, don't make more work for me. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, but he was right. He was right. It was, uh, okay, well, what is going to happen at night? And so, um, you know, I really thought that the breadwinner or not the breadwinner, but like, you know, the winning horse was going to be these weddings. But then I was like, okay, well, let's, you know, let's book some clown acts. It's going to be a colorful space. Let's book some clown acts. And to my surprise, it was just like off the charts, wild, outrageous, fun, um, and it was just kind of one of those examples of like, and this happens all the time is like, I go in with a certain vision, but what ends up happening or what ends up like really like taking the cake is something completely unexpected that I, that I did not anticipate for. So, um, yeah, I think that the, the particular teams that I invited that year, um, they really helped to establish like what that place and what that space means to be at night. It's a, you know, a place of just absolute, shenanigans you know um and uh expression and you know full acceptance so it's really blown up since that point to really be this beacon for people to completely let loose and you know and we um it, i didn't necessarily go in with the intention of like hey let's make this like a queer space but it became that in some ways um it's not like you know outwardly claimed as a a, a a queer space, but um, because of all of the talent that we were booking, it became really like um, a place for them. And a lot of them came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I was really nervous about performing in a place called the chapel because I had such 
negative experiences uh, growing up with religion at home, etc. And it really gave me a way to like reclaim my power in this space and to um, not have it be so bifurcated between like, oh, this experience in these types of establishments are not to be mixed with my culture. Mm. Uh, so that was a really cool thing to hear, you know, and I think that a, a lot of other interesting cultural things have occurred in that place. I've heard story after story where like people have really faced their kind of fear of, you know, not having exposure to queer people or drag queens or whatever. And then they've come, you know, by the end of the weekend, they're fully embracing, um, you know, that sect of, you know, of people. So it's been really lovely to kind of see um, how much more it's been able to contribute than this kind of raucous show that it's really been able to like help people, you know, create acceptance in their lives. And there's an opportunity for fans to get involved with this too, with the chapel parties for the, for the people. People. Yeah. Yeah. That was something we started uh, a couple of years ago. Well, I mean, in 2019. So this is our second year doing it. Um, but yeah, that was a, that was a new idea that came up uh, in 2019, which is like, we can't just do weddings. What else can we do? And so I kind of threw out this idea of like, why don't we, you know, host parties for, you know, anyone that wants to create their own, their own, you know, way of celebrating something in their life. Um, and so we had to like throw in a couple, you know, a couple of our own ideas to kind of help educate the fans in terms of what could happen there. Uh, cause at first I think a lot of the suggestions were things that you, you know, you might guess, um, kind of, you know, normal, normal ish things. And uh, then we peppered in like, okay, well, let's throw in uh, a party for just only, you know, redheads for all gingers. And it was amazing to see what happened at that party. It's actually one of my favorite parties still. It was just incredible. Um, and so I think that in that year one, people kind of were like, oh, I get it. I could, you know, completely pitch something entirely different. So we had... Um, this year we had like a party that somebody had suggested for shorties, you know, for anyone who felt like they couldn't see over the crowd. And we had everyone like above five, four, be able to wear like knee pads so they could still be in the party, but like give the shorties a chance to be the tallest people in the room. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like silly stuff like that. So it's been, it's been a fun, a fun program. Yeah, I thought the Cowabunga party had way more energy than I ever expected. It was just chaos in there when I when I walked through. <laughs> I missed it. I didn't see it. Yeah, yeah. But... No, it was really good. Uh, so the application's open for that, I believe, in the spring as well through the plug-in program, so folks can look out for info yeah. on that. What else? What am I missing? Uh, honeycomb? Honeycomb. Your role there? Yeah, I uh it's always an interesting thing to say like I designed it, right? <laughs> yeah. Because eventually what happens is like I basically how the process works is I'll sketch it or I'll, you know, make a raw sketch up or something like that or just a chicken scratch thing on a piece of paper and mood board it and then I'll bring it to somebody who I think can actually fabricate it uh and and flesh it out. Um, so that first year we had, uh, this group from New Orleans called Raven, who then took, you know, my chicken scratch and concepts and threw it into, um, and actually build, build it out the, you know, the actual product. Um, and then we had a whole other team, Mindful Massive that came 
and did all the decor and the painting. So I'm kind of overseeing all of the teams that are contributing to these pieces. Uh, and then I had all these leftover balloons from one, a string cheese show that we couldn't use. So then I threw them up last minute and it was like, Oh, brilliant. This actually makes the space look so much better. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, it's a process of kind of just relaying the message to a variety of different teams and everyone has their piece that they contribute. Um, and I kind of hold the, the key point of the vision there. And then uh, that came from also wanting to just kind of have less big sound stages, um, wanted to have something a little more intimate. And, you know, I had the design challenge of like, okay, well, before we had, you know, the forest stage and its big LED walls that was blocking the, the road and the campgrounds and that visual aspect. So instead of creating a stage where we did that again and it was just smaller, I wanted to build a stage in the round where the audience was actually sitting with their backs to that big road in this kind of stadium style, if you will, um, uh, structure so that we're, we're, we're actually able to look back out into the forest and everyone who's in the honeycomb can kind of witness each other. That's like really honestly my favorite is like you can really feel the energy when all of the like in the room when everyone is facing each other and not all just facing like unilaterally in one direction. Yeah. At that point, then it becomes like the show is about the people and the what like and the energy that we're contributing, and we're all in this swirl together. Um, and I'm really just happy with uh, you know what we've been able to bring in terms of programming, and like it it got way busier in there than I ever expected. I think that when we designed this, we kind of thought it would be this like sweet little coffee shop style stage almost. <laughs> And instead, it, there have been times where it has been slammed. Mm -hmm. um, you know, this year I wanted to bring some more like hip hop culture out there. I, I felt like we really, you know, are pretty well represented uh, musically, culturally uh, at that show. But like, it was like, you know, we really don't have enough hip hop culture here. So we brought in uh, an MC battle and a dance battle and imported some of like the world's best dancers uh, as judges and as hosts and it was just year one and I was amazed to see what people brought hmm. uh, and also the ability to like again just showcase the audience and not always make it about like we're all facing one way consuming the artist we are in this self-feeding mechanism where I am you know feeding you and you are feeding me in that space do you ever get the chance to just soak it in and enjoy the festival experience <laughs> oh boy yeah you know i laugh about i have no idea what's going on out there that's that's like my complaint every year i'm like was it good <laughs> did, did, did people like it like i just i have i feel so clueless sometimes um but i usually try to make it out at least after the shebang on Saturday night, I, it's, you know, typically been my night to be like, okay, let me like try to see some things. And I run and I dart from, you know, place to place. And I, you know, soak in maybe like a five to 10 minutes here and there just to, just to kind of vibe check everything to see if it's working. Uh, but for the most part, I'm hugely reliant on asking, uh, getting feedback from friends, from colleagues, what worked, what didn't work. Cause it's, it's honestly, I think that we hire and manage under my department alone, maybe like 500 different artists. So wow. I have, 
it's really hard to just it's hard to know yeah what's what's the planning process like for next year is that is that already underway oh who knows i'm not <laughs> sure i mean you know, like my artist side wants to blow everything up and just toss everything to the wind and start over because i'm like I'm like, ugh, too many people know about these secret rooms. Now we got to change it up completely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm not sure. I think I need a, you know, I have I have another show here with the Madison House team that we're doing. Um, maybe after that, I'll give it I'll give it a good think in the fall. Uh, anything else you want to add, Electric Forest wise? I don't know. I think, uh, you know, I think we're just excited to like keep it fresh. So I'm always looking for new ideas, new artists, people that are wanting to, oh, and again, yeah, I do also collect um, submissions for art installations as well. So if you're an install artist that wants to bring something to the forest, um, you know, I'll be sending out uh, a form for that as well sometime in usually like November or something like that. But again, you know, you can always check me on Novahan, N-O-V-A-H-A-N on the gram or Novahan Productions on Facebook. And I generally post when I'm like seeking artists to start submitting for things. Thanks so much to Nova for taking some time to talk and for continuously raising the bar in what the Electric Forest Festival experience can be for all of us. That's it for today. I'm your host, Kent Otto. As always, in addition to this podcast, you can tune in anytime to the EF Radio 24-7 live stream to hear live sets from the festival, artist radio shows, and so much more. To listen to EF Radio live and find a full schedule of programming plus links to more episodes of this podcast, visit electricforest.com slash radio. Radio.